can be seated. Good morning, church. If you would, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse uh, 16 in just a moment. And as you're getting there, I want to welcome you to our gathering, especially those of you who are visitors with us today. We've prayed for this gathering, and we specifically prayed for you. We'd love to know about your visit online. If you're tuning in today, you can drop your name in the comment and say, hey, I'm here. Or uh, if you're here in person today, we'd love for you to fill out the card in the seat back in front of you, and you can drop it into the box that says give back in the back. Now, this is week number 13 in the book of Galatians, and I have very much enjoyed walking through this book. And last week, he rounded a corner from discussing what the doctrine of grace is and the gospel and how we could potentially be brought back into slavery away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and last week he began to explain what this freedom uh, from the law and freedom in Christ looks like. It's not freedom to sin, it's freedom from sin, it's freedom to obey Christ and to walk in his commands. And he's going to continue with that theme this week, um, starting in verse 16, and he's going to describe this conflict that's going on in the life of every believer. So if you would, let's pray together as we read this and ask God to speak to us, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this, your word, and we believe that you have gifts stored up for us, for everyone who believes today. I pray that it would be a comfort for those who are clinging to you as their only hope, that it would be a warning to those who maybe would reject your ideals of what uh, this life of flourishing would look like with you. Father, I pray that you would do both, that you'd convict and confront, that you'd comfort us in the gospel, and that once again, that we would walk out of this place better in step with what your spirit is doing in the world. And I pray this, Lord Jesus, for your name's sake. Amen. Now, uh, I already mentioned that Paul is setting up this idea that there is a great conflict going on 
in the life of every believer. There's uh, many conflicts that happen in my backyard, okay? Many, many conflicts that happen. You just zip two kids up in a trampoline and wait for it and watch for it. Or you can come over any day of the week and there is a host of kids that come to my backyard to play airsoft. And uh, every day this happens, there's an invitation to me of whether or not I want to get involved in this conflict, okay? Dad, do you want to join us as we shoot each other with little pellets and run around and scream at each other? And most of the time, I do not want to engage in the conflict, okay? I, don't, I have a choice in the matter, and I do not want to engage. The conflict that Paul is describing in the life of every believer is not a conflict that we have a choice about, but it's one that we can either ignore or accept as reality, And Paul's urge for this group of people is to see what's going on around them. And he's going to describe a few things through this passage. He's hopeful to instruct them on what it means to walk by the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in step with the Spirit? To do the things that the Spirit is doing in the world around us. And that invitation, he's going to describe a few things. First, the conflict that's going on within the works of the flesh and what they look like, the fruits of the Spirit and what they look like, and then the way of walking with the Spirit. And this prayer that we would keep in step with the Spirit is what I've prayed over us today. That the result of us walking through this passage would be a group of people who are saying yes to the Holy Spirit, who are abiding with Him, and He's bearing this kind of fruit that He's going to describe in this passage. So would you make that your prayer with me? First, this conflict within, this civil war. Faithful living begins with an understanding of what's at stake and the war that we find ourselves in. Now, he's talking to a specific group of people that he's assuming are Christians, okay? He's not talking to just anybody. He's looking at them and saying, I believe that you guys are regenerate. In other words, there's something that's happened inside of you where you went to from before you were in Christ to after. And he describes this in verse 24. It says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's assuming that there's a group of people who've had a decisive moment where they said, I no longer want these things of the flesh. I want to follow Jesus Christ. They're no longer guided by their glands and appetites and longings. They're saying, I want to follow Jesus Christ. And so that's the group of people he's talking about in conflict. And and the reason this is important is because if you experience the discussion of this conflict and you're like, I don't know about that. I have no idea what it means to be within this conflict. Then perhaps he's not speaking to you quite yet, okay? Okay. In other words, there's a group of people who he's warned before and he's warning them again, but there's some of us, maybe even in this room, who has no resistance to the desires of our flesh. In fact, the pursuit of those desires being realized and grasped and held on to would be what we've described as success in our lives. And so, what does it mean for him to talk about this conflict? First thing is this, his audience are people who've previously come to a point where they're saying, I no longer desire the flesh, I want to follow Jesus, past tense, regenerate. Now, the other thing I want to point out is that all of the commands throughout this passage are active, to walk with him, to be led by him, to be in motion. So everything that follows in, the, in this passage talks about being active, okay? 
And if we believe that being free from the law means that we no longer have any place for a moral law in our lives, I just want to first just put that aside. That's not what Paul is talking about. The freedom that he's describing is a freedom to obey God, to love God, and to love one another. We talked about that last week. If you weren't here, the the end result was like, hey, don't bite and devour one another. In every opportunity for freedom, use it to serve one another and to build one another up and to love God, to love other people. So in Romans, it also talks about this reality that we've been set free, and it doesn't mean that somehow the law doesn't matter anymore. It just means that the law is now being fulfilled in the life of people who are following Jesus. This is how it says in Romans chapter 8. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he contemns sin in the flesh. In order that, and I want you to see this, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, he's saying, look, if you walk by the Spirit, you're no longer under the law. That's verse 18. You no longer have to be under the law. Here's why. Because Christ and his Spirit is fulfilling the law in the context of your life. He is wanting to demonstrate his power and glory and characteristics in the life of everyone who believes. And if this is true of you, that you believe, then it means that there's a conflict happening within. And he's going to describe this conflict. Now, I want to be clear that you don't need the law to save you. You don't even need the law to guide you anymore because you have the Spirit of God indwelling and enabling you to live according to God's will. And this doesn't put believers at odds with the law. It puts believers in this place of fulfilling the law because Christ, who fulfilled the law, lives in them. Okay. Now, if this is far down in the weeds for y'all, I get it. I'll just take a breath for a second, make sure everybody's still in the room. So, the principles of God's moral law are not at odds with him fulfilling the law in the life of believers in freedom. So he puts together this framework for what's happening inside of the life of every believer. And we need to understand that this is wartime. This is not a time of peace. There is an internal conflict going on inside of us between the desires of our flesh and the desires of the Spirit. And so non-believers, you do not have this internal pushback, okay? But those who are in Christ have an internal war raging inside of them, and the beginning of a victorious life is understanding what's going on, okay? Now, if you walked into my backyard any day of the week, you would need to know what's happening, okay? Otherwise, you're going to get shot with a BB. And this is how he describes it in verse 17. Look in God's word. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. These are opposed to one another. Why? To keep you from doing the things you want to do. Now, if you are in union with Christ, you want to do the things he wants. And so the conclusion of all of this theological argument is verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So why would you go pick it back up and do all the rituals and rites of Jewish people? You shouldn't do that because now you're being led by something even more powerful. Not only the power to lead you to the truth, but to give you the strength to obey. Okay, 
There's not external culture that's enough. There's not an external law that's enough. The Spirit is the only way that we'll walk in obedience to Him. Now, most of us understand the conflict going on around us, like in the world. You just open up social media and everybody's opposed to each other. You say anything and someone's going to go, nope, you can't do that. So there's lots of opposition happening in the world. But we need to be aware of what this desires of our flesh looks like. And before I go through his list of what it, list of what it looks like, I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon when he describes the ammunition within. It's, it's going to be on the screen. All the fire that the devil can bring from hell could do us little harm if we didn't have so much fuel in our nature. It is the powder in the magazine of the old man that is our perpetual danger. When we, are not guarding, when we are guarding against foes without, we must not forget to be continually on our watchtower against the foe of foes within. In other words, you've got an enemy out there and you should be concerned, but your greatest enemy is the desires of your flesh. So, if we live by the Spirit will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What are the desires of the flesh? Look at verse 19. It's going to describe what the works of the flesh are. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. In case he left something out in that list, Everything else that would come to your mind, you just keep adding to the list, okay? Everything that would gratify the desires of your flesh. Stott, John Stott, divides these groups into four, this list into four categories, and I'm going to walk through each of these categories and talk about what these things are, okay? Because sometimes we need a definition of what these things are that the Bible defines as sinful, as opposed to. To God and His work. So, what are the things in us that are opposed to God and His work? First is this realm of sex. He's got three things there sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. What is sexual immorality? First, he describes this. This word comes from the word uh, pornea, it's a word that we get pornography from, illicit sexual activity anything outside of marriage between a man and a woman in committed marriage. It's premarital sex, it's living together, it's pornography, it's sleeping with one another outside of the context of marriage. And I realize that in our culture, this is like stepping on a landmine, okay? But the Bible is not shy of stepping on things like this. Here's how the scriptures would presume to understand what our flesh is desiring. So, any sex outside of marriage, young people, those things are still forbidden by God. No matter how old we are, those things are still forbidden by God. No matter how many shows that we watch that present to us that it's okay, it's no big deal, it's a laughing matter, these things are still forbidden by God. And in fact, as much as we desire them, the desire does not somehow make them okay. That's what this passage is saying. It's saying, look, you can desire a lot of things. The desire does not justify what you do. In fact, a lot of our desires are out of step and in opposition to what God desires. So why is God approved? You guys ever wonder that? Why, why does God have all these rules? 
here's what I want you to understand. God designed human sexuality to benefit us and to give him glory. He created the rules around it because he knows how it works. He made it. He designed it. And because he made it, he gets to determine the parameters for how it best works, how you can best enjoy it. It's like building a fire. Anybody have a fireplace? You cranked it up this week because it's like the first time it's cold. You probably didn't do it in the middle of your floor in the living room, right? Because there's a designated place for the fire to burn. There's a place that God's made in the context of human flourishing for this fire to flourish and to heat the house and to warm us. And so I realize in the midst of a world that this is so unpopular in, not only dating apps, but in the context of the Christian church, these issues have become so vague around any sexual experience outside of marriage. And God's word is not vague about this. He's very clear. He gets to determine what's right and wrong for human flourishing. Now, if you come into this room with a uh, list of things that you're thinking, man, my past is really, it is buried and it does not look like this. What I want you to know is that God loves to take people like you and bring you into his family. He's not disgusted by you. He loves you. He adores the life of anyone that comes to him humbly and says, Lord, I, not my way, but yours. And so as we come to him with all of our sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, one thing I want you to know is that he's writing to Christians, okay? So before you go like, yeah, all those people outside the church need to know this. He's writing to us. He's writing to people who would struggle with knowing how it does it mean to follow Christ and obey his moral law over the world? What does it look like? Well, it doesn't look like just saying, my flesh desires it, so it must be okay. Second category, the sins of the religion of man. He lists idolatry, sorcery. That means that idolatry would be valuing anything higher than God himself, not worshiping materialism or anything that's created by God and valuing it more than God himself. I love this story. I didn't plan on saying this, but the, the story of a rich young ruler where he comes to Jesus and he says, I've kept all these things since my youth, but Jesus knew what it was that he valued more than him. And he said, I want you to go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And the man walked away so sad. So idolatry, <laughs> there's ways in which our flesh would be drawn to that. Sorcery, the word pharmacia comes from this use of mind-altering drugs or attempting to know something or control the future according to some other work other than God. And then he moves on to the realm of human relationships. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, orgies. Enmity just means hatred. It's not a word we use very much around here, but if you hate someone regularly, that means that you have enmity in your heart towards them, hostile towards someone around you, a type of bitterness that wishes bad things would happen to someone else. If this is some seed of something happening in your flesh, this is a natural thing, okay? The spirit is opposed to it. Your flesh says, I would like to hate this person. It feels good to hate this person. Strife is the next thing on the list. I'm going to just go through this list. 
strife. It means that you burn every bridge that you don't like to be there, okay? You're just gonna put the, the match next to the gasoline and say, let me just stir it up. Jealousy, it's looking at other people and wanting something that doesn't belong to you. Constant comparison. And then he concludes later with this whole idea of comparison. Fits of anger, outbursts of anger, rage, yelling, temper tantrums. You think this only happens to children? Most of you know it does not. (laughs) I certainly do. Rivalries, bitterness for bitterness sake. One-upping someone just because you know you can. Not rejoicing with other people. That's what rivalries look like. Seeing something good and thinking, I wish that wasn't so. Dissensions. Dissensions is finding something wrong with every single hierarchy or authority. Figuring out ways to poke holes in every system. Figuring out ways to undermine the structure of leadership in order to divide people. That's what dissensions are. To look around you and say, yeah, they probably don't deserve to lead that. I don't like that kind of accountability, so I don't like this person being in charge of whatever. And that leads to the next thing, divisions. Working alliances in order to work an angle. You know what it looks like. Everybody who's lived in the world for more than five minutes, right? (laughs) Pushing people away in order to push them towards you and your agenda more than towards what would benefit them. That's what divisions is. Okay, look, last two things, the realm of drunkenness or drink, drunkenness and carousing, or orgies, as it says in, in uh, some copies of God's Word. So, in other words, your flesh desires many things that will not benefit you or others. Okay? Anybody who's walked around with human flesh, like skin, bones, meat, and, and blood flowing through them, knows what these desires feel like, okay? So if you feel some inclination toward these things, first thing I want you to know is that you're not special. That doesn't somehow make you special. Everyone in this room is like you in that our flesh desires these things. It desires to work out these things, okay? And in this, in those desires, what I want you to know too is that Jesus was tempted in every way and yet he was without sin, which is amazing. And he concludes this list with a warning. So what do we do with this idea of self-knowledge, okay? Maybe you look at this list and you're like, I'm doomed. What he says at the conclusion of this list is this. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, this is not like a minor battle. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot at stake when it comes to this War that's going on between our flesh and the spirit. And when he lists these things, if there's no pushback from the spirit within you saying, this is not how God would have me behave. He wants you to know that there's a lot at stake. He's pleading with them to be warned as they were warned at the very beginning. I can imagine him coming to this town and initially presenting the gospel to them and saying, hey, look, here's the kind of behaviors that separate you from God. And all of them were listening to that list and going, I'm in that list. I'm doomed. And then he's saying, I want to warn you again that if you go on practicing these things, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And he warned them because he loved them. He's saying, look, it's not some temporary lapse. 
Any person who's walking with Christ knows that the conflict is going to leave you bloodied and defeated at times, and other times you're going to be feeling victorious. And so whichever one you are today, just know that Christ is enough for you. His forgiveness is enough for you. His care and concern is enough for you. He loves you, and he sees all of the ways that you're specifically tempted. And he's saying, look, you're not somehow unique. Every human has these desires within their flesh. And he's, he's painting a picture in the rest of this passage of the kind of things that he wants to demonstrate and make glorious in your life. And so, I want you to be warned today. 1 John 3 says this, For no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning. Because he's been born of God. By this, it's evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So those who do such things, it's saying in habitual practice, not an isolated lapse. He's warning them as he warned them before. Don't go on sinning this way. It will destroy you. Now, if you're listening... And you're thinking, I'm not so bad. Our flesh, one of the other characteristics of our flesh is that it will do everything possible to make you feel like you're not that bad. Martin Lord Jones says it this way. You will never make yourself feel that you're a sinner because there's this mechanism in you as a result of sin that will always be defending you against every accusation. We're on very good terms with ourselves and we can always put up a good case for ourselves even if we try to make ourselves feel that we're sinners. We will never do it. There is only one way to know that we're sinners and that is to have some dim, glimmering conception of God. And so I would imagine that in a room like this, you list a, a way in which our flesh would be opposed to Christ. And there's some of you going, I don't know, that's not me. I'm not that bad. And I want you to know the only way that you'll see this list as terribly dangerous as it is, is for you to have some idea of who God is in his holiness. And he will reveal to you the danger and the warning that Paul is saying in this passage. And if you're coming into this place not thinking I'm not so bad, but you're completely defeated thinking, what can I do? What can I possibly do? The hope that's in Christ Jesus is not that he's looking at you going, there's no way possible for you to be redeemed. But even so, in all the ways that you've indulged your flesh, he's inviting you to come and to receive the gift of life. And so, how do we evaluate ourselves as a response? We see the opposing forces. We see the works of the flesh. Now we want to see the fruits of the Spirit. He transitions to this beautiful description of what God's character looks like in the life of someone who's walking in step with him. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In contrast with the list of things that our flesh desires and will absolutely lean towards, just watch a child. Just watch a child. They're going to lean towards the things that will gratify their flesh. In contrast with that list, he describes the fruit of the Spirit, love, that looks like Jesus. Now, all these characteristics, before I go through them, if you want to grow with them, it's a, it's a, the only way to grow is to be close to Jesus who holds these characteristics. This is what he's like. 
This is what his spirit is like. And so the fruit of his spirit abiding in you will look like him. There will be this family resemblance of love. Love first. It initiates. It sustains. It doesn't waver based on what we've done or what we could do or what we could give or what we don't have to give. It's consistent and faithful even when the reciprocation towards his love is weak within us. That's the kind of love that he wants to produce in the life of a believer. It's full of joy. The second fruit of the Spirit is joy. This is this cheerfulness of heaven that's rejoicing because the greatest burden that's ever been on our lives was taken away and placed on Christ. And so every person who's trusting in that can have this kind of cheerfulness that resembles heaven that all of our burdens will one day be gone in the way that they have been dealt with decisively on the cross. We have a peace about us. The third fruit of the Spirit is peace. Jesus himself is the Prince of Peace. He came that we might have peace. That's what it says in Romans. Both initiated and sustained by God himself. The primary place of peace is alignment and reconciliation with God. He's pleading with the world to be reconciled to him. Why? So that they might know peace. The only way that we'll have this kind of peace is to be reconciled to God. His lordship over us, his order in the world displayed to us and through us, and then patience. You know that it's God's patience ultimately that leads anyone to repentance. His kindness and gentleness. 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul describes his own receiving of mercy this way. He said, I received mercy so that in me, the foremost of sinners, that is, Christ Jesus might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. In other words, Jesus loves to demonstrate this characteristic and then to make you more like him and demonstrate his patience to the world. His goodness and kindness. God is perfectly kind and he desires for you to demonstrate this attribute as well. Romans 2, 4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, don't be presumptuous about it, but this is the characteristic of God that leads anybody into the true knowledge of him in faith and repentance. And so if you embrace his patience and kindness and goodness towards you, one of the ways that it'll be demonstrated is that fruit being over and over displayed to the people around you. Faithfulness. The next one, faithfulness. God is faithful. He keeps his promises. He's never once been in breach with his character. Never once. He always presents himself as good and righteous and long-suffering, and there's never a moment when he's not faithful to his character, and he longs to produce that type of fruit in you where you're faithful to the character that he's developing. Gentleness, perfect gentleness. One of the only ways that Jesus described himself was Matthew 11, 28, where he said, come to me all who labor and are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am what? Gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, he longs to make us like him. He's gentle and lowly. And he's inviting us to demonstrate and display that to the world. Self-control is the last one. It just means this. And it's ultimately in contrast to the first list. We're not governed by our appetites or impulses any longer, but able to bring all of our impulses into alignment with what God would have for us. That is the fruit of the Spirit. 
And against these kind of things, there's no law. Connecting it back to the, the first part of Galatians, he's saying, look, there's no rules against this, folks. If you're abiding in Jesus and he's demonstrating this fruit, you don't have to worry about if you're stepping on a landmine of we shouldn't do this or we should. You just walk with him and he's going to make things happen that there's no outward restraints for. And so I want to point out a couple things. These things are fruit. A lot of us are pulling out our Christmas trees, right? You guys know about the Christmas tree shortage? You know that you better get it quick because they're not going to have them. I don't know if that's like a rumor or a truth, but uh, some people get real trees. Some people get fake trees. They're both basically the same because both are disconnected from the ground and there's nothing real going to happen in their life, right? Everything that you attach to make it beautiful is because you did that. And there's many people who come in and out of religious activity in the same way. They so long to demonstrate these things and they're just putting them on like ornaments that are going to have to be cleaned off in January. It's not true about you unless you know the power of the Holy Spirit. He longs to not just produce these fruit as if he's hanging them on him, on you, but to totally transform us from the inside out so that the fruit of our lives is demonstrations of what he's already changed within us, made us a new creation. And so he... I want to conclude with this. The way of the Spirit is this. I'm, I'm running out of time. The way of the Spirit. Verse 16, he says, I want you to walk by the Spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, there's a possibility for everyone who believes to walk in this way. He would not urge us this way if this wasn't, if this wasn't opportunity for us. Galatians 5.24 says that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh. So how do we walk by the Spirit? You understand the battle that's going on. You understand your own desires and how they're opposed to the desires of God. Understand the crucible that you're in, okay? Understand the conflict that's going on and then you walk in the same way that you started. Galatians 5.24, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Okay, so this might sound abstract, but the way of following Christ is the same way that we came into Christ. We repented of our flesh and the ways that it was opposed to God and we we. Uh, pursued and received the gift of God's grace. This is decisive. Crucifixion is decisive, okay? It's like painful and gruesome, and it's the death to something that we do desire. John Stott says it this way, the first great secret of holiness lies in the degree and the decisiveness of our repentance. If besetting sin persistently plague us, it is either because we have never truly repented or because having repented, we have not maintained our repentance. In other words, there's a way in which the, that you came through to this faith and then initially that you were crucified to your flesh, that you continue to be crucified to your flesh. Jesus said it this way. His invitation in Luke 9.23 is this. He said to everyone there, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That sounds like you're gonna have to do it every day, right? Sounds like it's gonna be like something that you, know, you don't make a decision about a long time ago. It sounds like something you're probably gonna have to you know, get, get your feet on the floor from the beginning of the day and say, okay, there's going to be things within me that are vehemently opposed to the Spirit's working in my life, and I'm going to pick up a cross 
You know what crosses are for? Death. That's what it's for. Now, whew, this is a weighty passage. It's really weighty. And I want to conclude with this. This command that he makes to the group of people hearing it. Let us keep in step with the Spirit. It means that there's going to be some motion. You get up every morning. You keep walking in a way that would say, I need you, Lord. I need you. I'm every single hour, I need you. Every hour, I need you. You've got to understand the battle in order for you to walk in step with the Spirit. You've got to continue where you've started and to keep in step with the Spirit. The only way to bear this kind of fruit is through Christ abiding in you and you abiding in Him. That means that you regularly practice His presence, that you walk as if He's alive. You realize in Acts that He presented Himself alive to the disciples. And part of what it means to be a Christian is to believe that He's actually alive. That His Spirit isn't some distant deity. His Spirit is with us. It is for us. It is not opposed to us. It is for our good and for others' benefit and for God's glory, and he's with us. So the only way that we'll keep in step with the Spirit is if we acknowledge the only way for us to live a life of fruitfulness is to walk abiding in him. Jesus said it like this in John 15, 5, and I want to pause here for a second. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him It is he that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So today, as we come to him, I first want you to be warned in the way that he warned the Galatians. If we go on living in the sinful desires of the flesh that are opposed to him, we do not inherit the kingdom of heaven. If you live as if there is no battle going on, if you live as if there is no battle, it could mean that you're you're living in a way that's just defeated. But if you walk connected with his presence, He's longing to demonstrate the kind of characteristics that he's demonstrated throughout all of eternity. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And he's saying this to everyone here. You can do none of those things unless you abide in me. There is nothing you can do unless you abide. Nothing. Your life will not be a demonstration of those fruits. You might can hang them on like an ornament for a few months, maybe even a few years. I don't know. I know that all that's ever been produced by my trying, it doesn't resemble those fruits. It doesn't. But what Christ and his spirit works out in me is so full of joy and peace and patience. Now, if you're just like (laughs) completely uh, feeling defeated this morning, Jesus loves you so much. 
He sees all of the scars from you giving into your flesh. He sees you. He's not unaware of you. He cares for you. He'll come and dress your wounds if you come to him. He will come and tend to you. He's gentle and lowly at heart. He's patient and kind and long-suffering. <laughs> if that's you, I'm so glad you're here to receive this word. I pray that we would just receive it with complete confidence, tripping into God's embrace this morning. Some of us just came in <laughs> just tripping into it, you know, falling into the room. Lots of fits of anger, lots of fits of rage. <laughs> and we come in just fully embraced by him and his love. There's another way that you could receive this, and it, it, his, uh, this passage ends with this. He says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. It's interesting, right? He's already gone through the list of the flesh and the Spirit, and then he's like, look, in case any of y'all were feeling good about how you're doing, <laughs> don't get conceited. In case you felt left out because that list of the flesh, you're like, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> if that's you, don't be conceited. In other words, there's ways that you can compare yourself to others and it will just ruin it all. Conceit, provocation, envy. Don't do those things. People that are on like, you know, feeling good about the fruits they've attached to their life, those are, those are different ways that your flesh can just demonstrate itself again. Don't compare yourself to others because it will absolutely kill your joy and your progress. Today's a little different because I, I want us to take communion, but we're not going to do it together today. Okay, so if you want to take communion, there's cups in the back. You can go get it after in just a minute. I just want everybody to be still for a second. Um, communion is a really serious thing. In fact, one of the places in the New Testament says that no one should take it in an unworthy manner. Now, the only way to be unworthy is if you're trusting in yourself and not Jesus. But if there's any part of you that's maybe seeking to justify yourself today, I would just urge you not to take this. Don't take it. Because the Bible says that you would be drinking further judgment on your head. And I wouldn't want that for anyone in the room. Okay? But if you are completely trusting in Jesus and his grace towards you, I want you to take it and rejoice remembering that his body was broken and his blood was shed for you. Okay? And if that's you, take it with full confidence. Don't go iffy on it. Okay? Don't be like, I'm not sure. Take it and rejoice that he paid the price you couldn't pay. But if you're still battling some of these things and you're like, you know what? I've never crucified my flesh. I've never decisively turned away from these things that I know are opposed to God. If that's you, I would urge you not to take it because in the same way it says that you, that, that group of people who practice those things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven, I do not want any further judgment to be on you for taking it, okay? But if you're trusting in Jesus, let's take it and rejoice and sing. I want to pray for all of you today. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it would both warn us, convict us, and comfort us today. And that we would rejoice once again 
that you have paid the price in full. For all the deeds of the flesh have been dealt with through you decisively. And for those that are struggling to walk with you today, I pray that they would experience freedom and joy with coming to you, trusting only in you, and that you'd produce the fruits that only you can produce of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and that we would walk out of this place better in step and in alignment with what your spirit is doing. I pray that as you abide in us and we abide in you, that you would bear all kinds of fruit through this group of people. And I pray this, Lord Jesus, for your namesake. Amen.